Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the second week of Mark Claire and Renzo Martini. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year that is recurring and for us it is the return of the Kirby Club produced episode here on the Second Print Comics Podcast. I'm going to tell you all about just what that is and what we're going to be talking about after I bring in my co-host, the ever-loving Ramblin' Man himself, Remzo Martinez. Remzo, welcome back. What's up? What's up, bitches? I'm doing quite well. Starting off hot. It's, it's one of those days. They all know I love them. I, I, I make sure to feed and water them, you know, give them enough sunlight and, and, they, and they're complacent. Fans are like plants, basically. I'm debating whether to discuss the current situation you have put yourself into in order to bring the best audio possible to our fans in your new apartment. Well, well, you see, Mark, I am in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, and this is actually <laughs> inside of my burqa because I have been pretending to be a woman in order to get over here and uh, sell them vaccines quote-unquote vaccines we're tying everything together in this current events issue here issue damn it episode issue what is this anyway speaking of current events actually this is a a good tie-in to something i wanted to discuss before we get into today's kirby club produced episode uh one thing we have been discussing internally here at the second print comics podcast has been our format uh we've mostly stuck to our original format for most for the vast majority of our episodes wherein either myself or remzo uh picks a book a story uh a certain trade paperback and we look at that story and uh you know filter it through our own perspective 
perspectives and bring you happiness and joy along the way. Uh, occasionally, we have broken from that format by looking at by doing a, a movie review. I think the last one we did was Black Widow. Sometimes we've uh, broken from that to discuss uh, current books we've been reading, and uh, we've gotten a lot of good feedback when we've done that, both by looking at the download numbers uh, from our fans, our patrons over in the Second Print Comics fan zone, uh, who are the lifeblood of this program. We've gotten such great feedback that we started discussing ways that we could actually incorporate that format into the show itself. We discussed a lot of different ways we could do that. We talked about you know kind of, kind of tacking a segment onto the end of episodes, but as you guys know, we already go pretty darn in-depth as it is, so it's kind of hard to tack a little segment onto these very in-depth, detailed episodes that we do, these deep dives we do for you. Uh, so we decided to just bring that format into, into a regular part of the rotation here at Second Print Comics. So starting actually next week, every single last Wednesday of the month, uh, we're going to break from the normal format and we're just going to do kind of a pop culture recap episode. Uh, we're still kind of fishing out for what we want to call it. If we want to have a, we're very much open to suggestions for what we want to call this, this segment, uh, for, uh, jingles We're we're open to anything. We want the fans to help us craft and create this as they have with their feedback to get us to this point. But basically every last Wednesday of the month, uh, Remzo and I will just kind of be shooting the shit about movies we've watched, maybe some Disney plus shows we've been watching, uh, current comics we've been reading, and all of that because it has gotten such great feedback. And although we went into this show with a plan, part of that plan was always to listen to the fans and let them help craft the show. So that's exactly what we're doing uh, after just over a year. Uh, We're listening to the feedback, taking it into account, and crafting the show based on that feedback. So, Remzo, are are you excited about this at all? You know, I will do anything for our fans. We started the show. Someday we're going to have to, I'm going to, I'm, I have this video and someday I'm going to, I'm going to have to take a re, I think a screen cap for the, at least for the fan zone for our patrons. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's just give a breakdown. We started amidst the pandemic and I was in my parents' basement and now, you know, I've recorded episodes in hotel rooms, in cars. I've recorded on the floor of my empty apartment I've recorded on my kitchen table, and now because of things I don't want to get into, I am sitting at my coffee table with a whole bunch of soundproofing around me under a blanket, which has already, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a pretty sight. It's not, but it, it is what it is. And I, I, I give so few fucks about how, how people may laugh at this, but what I don't. It's just going to be me because I'm the only one that can see you. So. Yeah, I mean, this is. And I appreciate this it. Is, I really do. This is this is like I am like I am freezing. This blanket is really meant for me in my apartment because it's Wisconsin. It's like negative two in in August, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing this to ensure better sound quality. So I love you, motherfuckers. I don't know what else to say. Well, you know who else we love? That is our patrons, our lifeblood of this show. Our patrons over at patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Blah, blah, blah. I messed that one up, but I'm just going to let it roll. Please donate for Mark's Parkinson's. <laughs> yes, every dollar goes a little way towards a cure for me specifically and for my issues and episodes issue and my um, my, my therapy and all of this stuff. Uh, but it also pays for our web hosting, our podcast hosting, and the ad campaigns that we have done. We have done a couple ad campaigns with other podcasts, and we have a big one coming up thanks to our patrons. So you can find out more about that over at patreon.com slash secondprintpod where we have all sorts of levels. Um, Remzo, why don't you give them a little bit of a breakdown, which will lead right into exactly what we're doing here on today's episode 
Well, folks, we go ahead and make sure to cover the gambit. Every week we've got Remso Rants on Sundays where I go ahead and give a breakdown of things that are chapping my ass and grinding my gears in the comic book and the entertainment industry. But things get even better for every new Disney Plus streaming show that Marvel is putting out, such as WandaVision, The Falcon Winter Soldier, and Loki. We go ahead and do a recap series. So far, I've teamed up once again with Caleb Franz from Profiles in Liberty to go ahead and give you episode-by-episode breakdowns of the new What If series that, Mark, I don't know about you, but I've absolutely fallen in love with it. And so much more, but it's not just I like me. The first, uh, first episode, I didn't. The, the first episode's good. I can't wait for Star Lord T'Challa tomorrow. But you know, you also get more of Mark with Claire continues and Tales from the Fucket Pile. And that's not just it for bonus shows. You get early commercial-free releases of this show. At certain levels, you can go ahead and jump on a Zoom call with us once a month and other fans to go ahead and you know get more behind-the-scenes stuff and also just have a good time. We get a gr- good group of fun folks every month. And then, you know, what, what I love is going to one of the local comic book stores in the Milwaukee area and getting to pick up some shrink-wrapped hardcover graphic novels with some of the stories that we even talk about here on the show and mailing those to our patrons at our epic crossover level. And if you don't think things can get any better, because they do, especially if you're the president of Afghanistan and you're leaving the country <laughs> with a car full of cash, um, we can go ahead and allow you the opportunity to support Support the show, support the whole operations by being a producer for one episode every three months, such as today's Kirby Club special, where you go ahead and pick a story or a topic, anything. You want to see us fight? You want to see us go ahead and, you know, commit like, you know, small acts of, uh, you know, degeneracy and other stuff? I mean, listen, guys, like there's no ceiling to the level of like, you know, ridiculousness things can get get creative really think think outside the box and we'll probably do it so go ahead and check out that kirby club level everything and that and more over at patreon.com slash second print pod all right well that being said we are going to get into this month's kirby club special uh we are once again well we are not joined by him actually because we were we had a little bit of a scheduling conflict we weren't able to get uh my good friend eric on the show but he was on three months ago for his last kirby club episode in that one we reviewed the phoenix saga the one where gene gray becomes the phoenix uh, and embodies the phoenix force and uh is a basically turns into a god and uh that is a whole misfitted alien adventure that uh um, I, I will link to in the show notes. I'm not sure what I, I'm there sorry, are leprechauns in it. There are leprechauns, which was indeed the highlight, I would say. Uh, but Eric wasn't able to join join us for tonight. But I have known Eric for nearly 30 years now, I'd say. So I feel confident, and he has given me permission to speak on his behalf why he chose this story. But um, essentially, similarly to what he told us when he when he did join us for the first Kirby Club special, he's been a lifelong X Men fan. Uh, he got into the X Men books when he when he uh, you know f- found some of the old comics at a friend's house, and then suddenly he was just sucked into comics, and he went back and found a lot of those older uh, collections. Um, with a lot of the the classic tales, and uh, these were some of the first stories he really read when he started doing those those dives into those older issues. So, you know, Phoenix Saga. Um, you know, we had kind of mixed thoughts on that one. Not so much. We reviewed it fairly poorly. I would say, well, well, average at, at least. I think I ended up giving it a five, and you maybe gave it like a six or so. It deserved something it. like that. It did. Um, but now we are doing the follow up, the story that has been put into film form several times, um, always to uh, I guess uh, less than stellar fanfare. You might say, but we are going to be looking at the Phoenix 
saga. Now, one thing I want to note, uh, which is kind of funny here, another thing we talked about format-wise for this show is, you know, we really do deep, deep dives. And when I look back at some of the early episodes we did, I have no idea how I did it. Like, I, I think in episode three, I recapped 24 issues of Savage Dragon in one in one episode. I have no idea how. Uh, I think I must have just been blazing, absolutely blazing through them. I did the Stormwatch episode. I did 14 issues. Maximum Carnage was 14 issues. But that is just draining and exhausting. And uh, Remzo and I have you know, realized over the last year or so that we're, we're probably at our best. We probably do our best work uh, when we do basically between four and six issues. Um, so that's what we're going to try to keep to. That's what we've pledged to try to keep uh, all of these episodes uh, you know, at uh, in terms of the, the number of issues we're going to look at. However, because <laughs> this is the Kirby, Kirby Club special and uh, we're not going to turn down our, our good producer Eric's request here, we are doing this entire Dark Phoenix saga, which I believe is nine issues altogether. So we're going to, there are going to be some points here or there where we try to just kind of you know, gloss over some things a little bit just to get to more of the meat of the story um, because we want to, we want to do a deep dive, but we, I think also for the fans sake, uh, I think for the most part like you know stretching things longer much longer than 90 minutes can be tough uh for for listeners for hosts <laughs> um so we are trying to keep the episodes around that length if not a little bit shorter uh going forward i most of them have have already naturally fallen within there but i think some have gotten uh to two hours or so especially when we've had like 13 12 13 14 issues so we're not going to do that and we're going to try to wind away from that but we are going to look at nine issues today so Ramzo, you want to kick this thing off you want me to I'll go ahead and uh, kick us off at Uncanny X-Men issue 129. I remember when we covered the original Phoenix saga, the only thought going through my head is this shit is weird. And while this shit certainly does get weird, it's in a much more cohesive and entertaining sense. So we'll just go ahead and jump in. Who do we have writing this one? We've got Terry Austin as the inker. We got Chris Claremont and John Byrne writing this with, um, you know, Bob Sharon as the colorist, Roger Stern as the editor. Talk about deep dives, man. We're getting the inker. We're getting the Remzo is, is not letting anyone go unnamed here. Well, well, people are like, you know, you didn't you didn't mention my favorite letter. And it's like no one gives a fuck about the letters, really. But what I do want to give a shout out to is like this is one of my favorite eras of the Uncanny X-Men, the Avengers, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, because it had Jim Shooter as the editor in chief. Jim Shooter would really reign during this era of Marvel, and he would later go on to start Valiant Comics, which is now Valiant Entertainment. Can you name a, a letterer besides besides Tom Orzakowski? I, I, I literally can't. And oh, wait, is that how you pronounce his last name? I mean, that's what it looks like. <laughs> you, you know, it's it's like that that guy from the Bucks, Giannis and Tampa Copo. I don't, I don't follow these, these sports of which you speak. Okay, well, the sports ball is there. Well, you're anyway, in Milwaukee, though, so everyone, I mean, there's very little to talk about around town, so I'm sure it's, it's you know, everyone's on the tip of everyone's tongue. Go Brewers. Anyway, we were in the X-Mansion, and we get to see a big aerial shot of the X-Men. We see Colossus, Storm, Wolverine, I hate to Phoenix. do this so, so early, but I got a fact check here. They're not in the X-Mansion yet. They're actually leaving Moore Island after they just had their little battle with uh, Moira McTaggart's um, ne'er-do-well son, Proteus. You know what? My whole Marvel Unlimited app just froze and I can't move the page. I'll let you jump in for this one because technology hates me right now. 
Rem's I'm under a blanket for crying out loud. Work with me. The man is under a blanket for you. All right. Uh, I'll take over here for a bit. And uh, yeah, so basically they are on Moor Island where they just finished their battle with Proteus. Uh, Banshee and Madrox, uh, Jamie Madrox, the multiple man, of course, as well as Havoc uh, and Polaris are all there. And they all turn down offers to join the X-Men. Just they're, they're just getting shot. Scott Summers is getting shot down left to right, I should say. I mean, maybe this would be different if they had, say, I don't know, Gene making the pitch, Wolverine making the pitch with his claws out, uh, Professor X making the pitch. Literally anybody but Scott Summers might be a more effective salesman here, but none, nonetheless, they're all turning down X-Men memberships to remain here at Moore Island and hang out with uh, Moore and McTaggart. At least, at least Banshee and I think Madrox are going to stay there. I'm not sure what, uh, what Havoc and Polaris are going to do, um, but... Uh, and uh, along the way, along their flight home, um, ha- Colossus is, is kind of contemplating. I really do like the character of Colossus the more I look back at these old stories because he is the one that you see the most inner moral conflict in. And that's pretty consistent across decades of X-Men stories because uh, in the Blackbird here, he's just contemplating. I guess he was the one that actually killed Proteus in the end. Of course, not really dead, comes back. You all know this is going to happen because comics. Uh, but he is really contemplating like, you know, I know he was evil. I know it was his life or Moira's life. But, you know, does that make what I did? right do i have the right to take a life and i just i enjoy little touches of humanity like that especially when it's consistent among certain characters like colossus have you have you noticed that trait uh from colossus amongst the you know along the storylines you've seen him in as well yeah i mean i always feel like they're going to really hype him up to take the lead in an issue where we're actually gonna see him actually prove to be a hero but often i feel like he's often uh, you know, set up as the big strong guy and quickly he's taken down to really kind of prove the size of a threat. We especially saw it in the original Phoenix saga. So moving along here, I will, I'll just, I'll just handle the rest of this issue while you, while you, while you get recalibrated here. Uh, but we meet uh, this fellow, Jason Wingard, who is a member of the Hellfire Club, and we learn that he has a psychic connection with Gene Gray, Gray, who he, uh, who actually like when when they make this psychic connection, he's able to transform her, at least in her mind, into this lady Jean Gray, this sort of like. 1800s uh, debutante of sorts and so she kind of goes into this this fantasy world of sorts where she is this debutante she ha- kind of has she's getting wooed by this Jason Wingard character um, she's approached by this guy uh, Captain Scott <laughs> I'm, I'm calling him Captain Scott anyway uh, she, and it, it is of course when she comes back to it is of course actual Scott Summers her boyfriend Cyclops that she is is uh, talking to and uh, yeah, they are, they're quite the hot item still. Uh, and they, they get to smooching, they get to smooching real quick. Um, so they head off here and uh, yeah, basically an intruder is detected at the mansion while they're on the way back. So um, as they're headed back to the mansion, they go on in and who is that intruder? Of course it's professor X. This is such a trope. This is such an X-Men trope. This, I think we got the sim- something similar uh, in the X-Force 25 that we looked at in the fatal attractions episode uh, where, you know, there was this mystery, character who'd broken into the broken into the facility and no one knew who oh guess what it's cable it's the freaking leader return just like it is here this is i feel like it's definitely a comics trope but i i feel like it happens quite a bit in the uh, the x-men universe as well I, I i mean it's like they do they do this all the time and it, it always falls into a couple it's either cable professor x cyclops or kitty pride i feel i feel like it's just one of those things it's like the same apartment from friends you always know they're gonna come through the same door and they're always like oh who is it 
Joey. Oh, it's like, it's, it's ridiculous, but we love it either way. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And it's the X-Men and it is what it is. Um, we get a moment here where Wolverine storms out of the danger room. Um, he's just not, he's not enjoying why, uh, you know, how professor X basically talks to them. You know, he, he's talking to them like they're kids and well, especially for Wolverine, this guy's an old man. You know, he's been around, he doesn't remember that whole life, but these guys has been around for a couple hundred years now. Um, Scott and uh, Scott Summers and professor X are arguing uh, about this, about the fact that he's kind of like talking to them like kids and, and, you know, Scott thinks that Professor X isn't really jiving with the new X-Men. And basically, Professor X is being a total dick here and, and just blames Scott for everything. Uh, moving along, Cerebro then detects some new mutants. So what do we do? We split up into teams. Uh, one team is going to be led by Scott and Jean, while another is going to consist of a Colossus Storm and Wolvie. And, and Professor X is going with, with Scott and Jean, I believe, in this one. Uh, back to Jason Wingard in the Hellfire Club. This guy it's basically the Hellfire Club are these, these hoity-toity you know, the sort of like societal elites that are up to no good. And we'll learn more about what that up to no goodness is. Um, it's basically but, like Epstein Island, but for mutants. Kind of. Yeah, that's pretty close. Uh, he's telling you, this Wingard is talking to this guy, Shaw, who's kind of in the shadows at this point. Um, and we also meet in this scene. I, I believe this is the first appearance. I could be wrong of one Emma Frost, Remso, your favorite. You know whether or not you're straight after you take a look at Emma Frost. <laughs> Correct. I think that's fair. We'll leave that there. Uh, moving along, we are now headed to Chicago, where we meet young Kitty Pride. Now, Kitty Pride first gets a visit from Miss Emma Frost. Now, so Emma Frost is also aware, uh, due to her psychic powers, of the existence of these mutants, and they are going there. Well, we'll find out why, but essentially for the same reason that that uh, the X Men are going there. Of course, they're going there because they want to kind of intervene in what the X-Men are going to do for their own nefarious purposes. Um, and it does not take long. So basically like Emma's there and basically says like, Oh, we, we want to bring Kitty to this new school. And they're like, okay, whatever. Kitty goes upstairs, has these headaches and falls through the floor and tries to explain things away to her parents. Like, Oh no, I just, uh, I ran back downstairs to uh, get a glass of water and runs back upstairs without getting water. So of course, Emma knows that uh, she's kind of, you know, she's in this kind of slit dress business suit. I'm noticing. So still, still dressing in, uh, you know, Still dressing nicely for the fellas. That's still more clothes than Emma Frost should ever be wearing. Oh, come on, Remso. What are you going to do here? All right, moving on. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, so basically Emma takes off here, and as she's leaving, we see Colossus pushing Professor X along, along with Wolverine, Storm, and uh, yeah, and, and, Col- yeah, and Colossus, who I already mentioned was pushing Professor X. And uh, they go, and they're basically make, making this other pitch. They're like, hey, we're, we're, we're here to uh, see your daughter. <laughs> it's not weird at all. And Kitty Pride is already like looking down the stairs and already clearly has the hots for Colossus. This does not take very long to get into creeper territory. Now, technically she's just a kid with a crush on someone that's, you know, that that's fine. But, um, it seems to be a lot of this <laughs> in the X-Men books a lot along the way. Well, what's creepier her having a crush on, on, uh, on Colossus and Colossus kind of returning that affection or like uncanny X-Men issue two, where Xavier is like, I'm in love with 14 year old Jean Grey. Definitely Xavier for sure. Because he's the freaking teacher of the damn school, too. So that end is older than Colossus. I, I don't know how old Colossus is. He's like a young adult male. So, you know, we're not going to get into this debate today. But You don't want to talk about age of consent right now? Not, not particularly. Uh, but I, I think we could all agree that no matter what your feelings on exact age of consent are, um, Professor X hitting on a 14-year-old is creepy as fuck. 
<laughs> yes. So anyway, we're, uh, this is just the kind of stuff that that existed in Marvel comics in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, even. Because uh, yeah, I think I mean he's still seeing Kitty Pride and Fatal Attractions, uh, I believe. So and, and I don't know how much older she's supposed to be then. Uh, we know time doesn't really move that you know like it does for us in, in the Marvel universe. But anyway, Kitty goes out to the malt shop with the, with her newfound friends, including Storm, who she's, she's becoming fast friends with here and uh let's see and as they are out uh, <laughs> this is funny too there's one moment here speaking of stuff that you n- would never see in comics now uh kitty says hey we got black kids in my school too aurora but none of them look like you she's like what do you mean you mean ones with blue eyes it's like yeah that's it and <laughs> just just you know the kind of stuff you're not gonna read in 2021 oh like what type of people was she suggesting i think she was talking about black kids that don't have blue eyes <laughs> Oh, I thought she was talking about, you know, like adults with white hair who are also going too. to school. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe, yeah. Or any Be better, yeah. Mark. Be better. There's, well, there's a lot of impl- implications here. Look, Kitty Pride's the one bringing up race here, right? I'm just, I'm just reporting. I'm just reporting on the She's fact. Jewish. She could do it. Fair enough. Uh, as they're at the malt shop, just having a good old time, uh, in burst these pink armored flamethrower dudes, as I called them. And uh, as you can imagine, the X-Men use their powers to fight back and they kick arm pink armored plane flame thrower ass until emma frost comes in and knocks them out with what i just called in my notes psychic stuff um meanwhile kitty pride however has has stowed away so she's kind of hiding out um that does it basically for this first issue in the dark phoenix saga uncanny x-men number 129 Quick thoughts before we jump into the next one, because like I said, we're going to try to move this one along. It was better. It was a better start than the original Phoenix saga where, you know, where, where, you know, like they 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 crash land in in the ocean after being in a giant space battle. And then it moves on to like, you know, weird castles in Scotland, Ireland. I don't know. It's where the leprechauns are. So right off the bat, you know, we, we get to see two new characters. We get to see Emma Frost, who I absolutely have too too much of an obsession with we've got kitty pride and, and we get to see something that's led more by some of the other x-men because really even after um this this current x-men team were introduced it was almost always still focused on gene gray and cyclops so the fact that you know there we get we get more uh face time with some of the other x-men who are more of a uh leading and, and forward moving story role I, I really do appreciate especially cyclops and storm they're such awesome characters i'm glad we get to you know see them interact a bit more on the pages indeed yeah and like like you said there it's, it's nice to just have a, a fairly straightforward story at least starting out here so that's something we <laughs> didn't quite get from that first phoenix saga yeah so now we're on to issue 130 we have the dramatic debut of the dazzler and uh this covered will not get you much money online but it, i think it's pretty cool Anyway, uh, the mutants continue with the other team. We've got Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Nightcrawler. They're in this, uh, you know, little rundown neighborhood in Deland Street in Lower Manhattan, and they're on the hunt for another one of the mutants who could potentially be in danger. So Cyclops and Jean Grey are like, hey, you know, is, is this is this mutant really going to be in this part of town? And Scott's like, yeah, you know, Cerebro always works. Meanwhile, somebody's being spied on by somebody. I'm talking about our heroes. We see these goons wearing like these like, you know, uh, did, did you ever see that show Community? I watched it for a little bit. I didn't get super into it, but I, th- I watched like a season or two. Do, do you know who the Greendale human is? I have no idea. So the Greendale human is a guy basically in like a, uh, a, a beige skin suit with no 
features like at all. And they, they made the Greendale human, the school mascot because they didn't want to offend anyone. So, you know, he, he just kind of looks like a gimp suit almost. And th- these guys are basically kind of like the Greendale human or gimp suits, whichever you're more familiar with. These face masks are, are kind of creepy. Yeah. And, and what we basically learn is that these guys are henchmen for the Hellfire Club. So what we know is that it's not just Emma Frost and Jason Wingard, the others, and Shaw. We've also got like an army of henchmen. So you know things are getting kind of hairy. Gotta have henchmen. And they're, spy- and they're spying on the others. Meanwhile, uh, everyone just keeps walking blissfully unaware of the danger towards where... Um, Cerebro said the the mutant in the area is hiding. And they basically walk in on like this 80s, 70s, like disco rave because you've got Jean Grey and Cyclops looking like a couple of squares where night, while Nightcrawler is doing reconnaissance. Yeah, this is a terrible disguise if they're, try, if they're trying to be undercover yeah, like, here. Like, like they're just like walking around. You just got like the, you know, yeah, you're like, it's it's a real happening Scott's got right on this now. trench coat and Jean's got this like, you know, scarf and just does not, they're not yeah. look like clubbers at all. No, not at all. They're, they're pretty square. So they're looking around and Cyclops pulls out this watch and he's like, I'll use my watch. There's a micro cerebro built in it programmed with all the data of the main unit recorded about our mutant. And, you know, Jean is like, why isn't he paying attention to me and stuff? But she's basically using her powers to also read the minds of those in the crowd to see if they can kind of narrow it down. Meanwhile, we realize that those hellfire gimp goons are actually hiding out in a truck that's parked outside of this, like, you know, rave warehouse in lower Manhattan because it's always in a shifty truck parked on the side of the road. And what they're doing is they're uh, they're basically sending their reports back to the Hellfire Club, specifically Jason Wingard. And uh, Wingard is like Shaw, two of the X Men in the uh, who uh, who the who the roadie faces. Uh, wait, wait, wait! Gosh, damn it, Marvel app again. Shaw, two of the X Men who roadie faces are the oldest, most experienced, most dangerous members of the team, and they're not to be taken. Uh, lightly, and this is where we see more of Shaw, and he's like, neither is Sebastian Shaw. So basically, what they're gonna do is they're probably not just gonna go ahead and try and recruit this mutant, they're gonna try and fight with the X-Men finally. Uh, meanwhile, Emma Frost is finally back, and things haven't gotten any better for her, except with the fact that she was able to go ahead and bring back Colossus, Wolverine, and Storm after their tussle with the pink flamethrower In guys. Their underwear. Now, yeah, now, now we kind of know. Uh, what what was going on. And, and what's even worse is who they have strapped to that chair right there. No, wait, he's on the stretcher. Gosh damn it, Marvel app. I need you to load. Making chairs look like stretchers. They got Professor X strapped. Oh, there. yeah, they got Professor X strapped there. What's with these people in bondage? I mean, they've got the <laughs> gimp suit guys. Everyone's in their underwear. Emma Frost looks like she's like a dominatrix. Like, this is all... Like, I never realized how, like, you know, underhandedly sexual the overtones were. But anyway, uh, all the X-Men are basically kidnapped. Things are not good right now. And Emma Frost, um, you know, she's going around giving like an evil supervillain speech and stuff like this. Meanwhile, who is in the background sneaking in? We've got Kitty Pride, And Kitty Pride is like, I thought real hard and I walked through that wall like it wasn't even there. So what we see is that she's getting more of a hold of her powers and she's no longer just, you know, falling through the second floor into the kitchen, grabbing water, like all the other excuses she was making up. She's actually figuring out. This is the last thing I'm doing if I'm 13 years old. (laughs) I am not following these people anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. 
And she basically gives a quick recap of what happened in the last issue. Um, and she's going to try and uh, save Aurora and Peter and Logan at this point. But they're all like drugged up and tired. They've had the shit beaten out of them. It's just not uh, working out. What Kitty finds is that Storm can't use her powers because they have like these inhibitor fields uh, around the cages that are messing with um, their powers. So basically she can't access thunder, lightning, storms, rain, all the shit that storms should be doing. And it certainly doesn't look good for the others. Uh, but, you know, Kitty's not really new, not really experienced with this whole superhero thing. So one of the gimp guards notifies Emma Frost, hey, there's like a teenager over there. And Emma Frost is like, well, come on, moron, go, go ahead and grab her. So now you've got uh, Kitty Pride. She's like phasing through the foreign stuff. And uh, the, the gimps have just completely failed. So Emma Frost is like, Cretans, by the time they reach the lower level, this girl could be anywhere. Seal the complex, organize search teams. I want Kitty Pride found at once. Uh, and meanwhile, we're back at the disco rave. And Jean Grey is just, you know, standing around like a prude. She's not even, she, hasn't, she doesn't even have a glow stick, Mark. She's just a no, stick in the sand. Terribly, terribly not undercover at all. Yeah, and who ends up showing up again? It's Jason Wingard, and he's like, excuse me, miss, I, I was right, it is you. Hello again, do you remember me? Jason Wingard, we met in Stonway. And then she goes back to her little debutante Lady in the Bellum Jean. period, and uh, apparently, like, you know, they're, they're this whole thing. So Jason and um, uh, J- Jason, Gene, they end up like walking into like this chapel thing and who's the priest standing in front of them holding a Bible about to officiate some wedding vows of all thing. It's Sebastian Shaw. That's not creepy at all. And uh, what we basically see is that Wingard and Jean are getting married and Jean has basically taken on this role within the Hellfire Club as our, as their black queen. So, uh, she has, she just basically it's like she's gone through a completely different personality shift. It's like when she's around Jason, her mind goes into this role as if it's a part of her. But when she's not around him, she's just regular Jean Grey trying to figure out whether someone roofied her drink. And um, as Jason and his new black queen are making out and everyone at this like little weird hellfire wedding is celebrating, we see Cyclops walk over and Jean is suddenly like, uh, something's not right. Well, this dude has his tongue down her throat. And suddenly, um, you know, Jean is just like really freaked out. And uh, Scott just kind of stands there. And while she's trying to freak out, like, you know, wondering whether or not Scott will, like, you know, be mad. He's just so concerned about that. He basically, like, ignores her because he's so focused on finding this mutant. What do you think about that part right there? Um, you, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going on for Scott, you know? You'd, you'd think he would t- be a little more, uh, you know, heartbroken. To <laughs> Scott a cuck. <laughs> I mean, decades of evidence has pointed out that... that that is possible a possibility including current hickman related comics um but yeah, yeah i mean it's a he they just show it's so funny they just show like that the exclamation point uh, question mark you know exclamations in his head and then he's you know he's just kind of thinking to himself like what the hell's going on he's like anyway but they are a thing at this point oh yeah no they're fully a couple here they're there if i couple. saw if i saw my fiance just you know making out with some dude at some type of underground they're not disco engaged here, but they're, they're close to getting engaged spoiler but alert. still like you know <laughs> it's one of those things that i think would bother someone 
Yeah, I think, I mean, if I was Scott Summers, Jason Wingard would be on the ground right now. And we would have a very uncomfortable ride home with, with, with Gene. But instead, we are immediately distracted by Dazzler, who is displaying her mutant powers of Dazzler. laser light shows. The absolute worst mutant power ever. Yeah, so they figure out that Dazzler, who is this singer, pop star, Madonna-esque figure, is basically the mutant. And her little pyrotechnic special effects show is her power. Meanwhile, um, we see that uh, in one in, uh, in some car outside that I, I don't know who whose car is this? Do they specify? It's whatever car the X Men took. Car? Yeah, it's like some okay, it's like so the, Lincoln Town car. Oh no, no, it's a oh okay. Now I remember. So the car that they came in has a phone, and it's really important because cars used to not have phones. Phones, but like they're phones that had cords on them. You know, yeah, just like a real yeah, phone was, in your house back when those and phones had, had cords. And you had to and you had to pick it up. So anyway, Nightcrawler decides to go back to the car, and suddenly somebody is uh, is is dialing to the car's number. It happens to be Kitty Pride, and she's like, "Hello, uh, is this the X Men? I'm Kitty Pride." How does she get this car number? Does she just Google? There's no Google then, so no. Does she just Was call there, like, the operator, books? ask for the X Men, and then transfer it to the car? I I don't know, but anyway, well, she we know calls why, Remzo. Why? Because, because comics. comics. Thank you. So she calls the car because obviously it's listed somewhere and uh, Nightcrawler picks up and he's like, what? Somebody captured the X-Men. As soon as this force exposition comes into play, we see the giant pink robot things attack the car, which I mean, their their auto insurance is going to go up immediately because phone cars are expensive. And um, Nightcrawler is is fighting this thing. These guys don't have insurance, so. Yeah, like we all know that Nightcrawler is not going to go ahead and exchange information, nonetheless beat this giant pink robot flamethrower thing. And during the show, uh, Dazzler realizes that those giant pink robot guys have just completely busted through the ceiling. I mean, the whole venue is completely destroyed. And before we know it, uh, Scott and Gene have somehow changed into their costumes. I did notice that too, yeah. Yeah, they're just suddenly in their costumes. Unless the only thing I can think of that might be a very comics but you know possible explanation is that Jean was just psychically making them look like they were wearing those other clothes, and then they she dropped that whole thing when the shit went down. But that's the comic explanation I'm going to tell myself. Yeah. So basically, uh, these uh, th- these giant ro- these giant armored guys are basically guys in armor. If I didn't already explain that awkwardly, they're guys in armor. They're not just regular guys. They're those gimp hellfire guys who are wearing the giant armor and basically everything is made to you know fight mutants so they know exactly how to weaken cyclops they go ahead and block his visor they go ahead and uh, shoot out a ball of energy to go ahead and try and uh, avoid Jean Grey's powers but they don't know how to anticipate Dazzler who just basically we're never going to plan on a light show (laughs) yeah well she basically gives them seizures like early Japanese cartoons so they, they basically eventually fight them because what, what they identify is that they can get their helmets off. Jean Grey can go ahead and just completely scramble them. So they end up uh, all teaming up with Dazzler and they're like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to go ahead and fight all this stuff. And Dazzler's basically like, yeah, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to just do my own thing. And you guys do you because I'm I'm a rich pop star. I love the I love the one line that Scott's like, don't you ever wonder where your powers came from? She's like, nope. <laughs> that was the entirety of that exchange. Like, no, not at all. I like this chick. I do too. But, uh, she doesn't give a shit about this stuff. He's just like, look, I just want to make laser light shows and be famous. Like, fuck you guys. Thanks for but coming. But yeah, I mean, that, that's about it. They they jump into their uh, Lincoln because apparently the, the phone car was actually not damaged by the giant. It's missing the door. Guys. One of the doors, it looks like, when they drive away. So. Yeah. 
But uh, but anyway, they're driving off, and Scott looks aside, and he's like, oh, it's that man Gene kissed at the disco. Is this part of the puzzle, too? It's like, Scott, how are you not more concerned? Why is his first thought not go fi- figure out why is this guy was just making out with my girlfriend? <laughs> like, or confront him in some way, or ask her. Bring it up again. Like, it's like, he d- doesn't even mention it anymore, but whatever. It's like, this is, not a, this is not a Tinder date, Scott. You've known her for, like, years now. You gotta say, they are pretty consistent with the character Scott Summers over the years. He's pretty much just always a bitch. If he were a condiment, he'd be mayonnaise. Hey, don't talk but about yeah, that. that is, uh, yeah, mayonnaise has more character than Scott. <laughs> that I will um, not argue with at all. <laughs> That's why I objected to insulting mayonnaise in that way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that, that wraps up that issue. All right, so we're going to hop over to Uncanny X-Men number 131 right now. And uh, we jump right in to Kitty Pride running away, running away from all the action that she just saw. And uh, as she is running down the alley, because she's just a 13-year-old kid, she falls. And, um, you know, but she, she, she screams about her arm. And uh, but as they're driving up, as these these thug guys are driving up, this is the old thugs from before with the weird, creepy face masks uh, who jumps in front of their car. It is the Phoenix. So the Phoenix saves Kitty Pride along with Kurt. Kurt, Kurt, uh, Nightcrawler jumps in and saves her and kind of grabs her from the alley and teleports her away. So now Kitty Pride meets this other group of X-Men. Um, this is another line from Dazzler there who's she's still kind of hanging out with them for the moment she says compared to this my mutant ability to create jazzy light shows seems like nothing um, which and that is very accurate because your mutant ability to create jazzy light shows is pretty much fucking nothing man <laughs> but uh, the, everyone else has way cooler powers than, than you um, and it seems like Gene just literally just fried these guys and Scott is like kind of a little concerned about it but um, you know Gene basically says like they got what they deserve so they're 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 at there are more and more references as we go along to Jean kind of becoming a darker character in a way, um, becoming you know less less compassionate, more willing to uh, violently destroy her enemies and such. So they're they're certainly planting the seeds for things to come here. I would seem. Is Scott a sociopath? Why do you ask him? So he's he's being accused of. I mean, he though. just yeah. I mean, he just he he's phased by all the wrong things, and he doesn't seem to have like regular human emotions. What if his real mutant power isn't the ability to shoot laser eye beams out of his eyes, but the fact that he's emotionally detached from everything? You know, he's he's too concerned with, you know, figuring out what to do with this 13-year-old stowaway they got here. So he sends Jean Grey down to talk to Kitty Pride, who is, you know, scared shitless about what's been going on. And his reasoning for sending her which is fair enough. He says, you're the most normal looking one of us. So you'll have to handle the initial contact. And I think they are actually answering your question from the last issue here. Cause as uh gene is going down into this, like into this, uh, wherever the hell she is, some bunker or something. Uh, gene is telepathically changing her outfit from her Phoenix outfit back into her, the lame out, the gr- lame, like grandma librarian outfit. She was wearing at the club. Uh, Cause I guess that'll be more, you know, more fitting for Kitty. So who knows what's the real outfit. One of them, gene is making appear as if they're, wearing and one of them they're actually wearing i don't know if it's actually the x-men outfits they're wearing or the fake out or you know the actual human clothes outfits but i think they are, are you suggesting they could all be naked this entire uh, time that's kind of what i'm trying to say yes so maybe that's why maybe that's why they're naked in the cages with emma frost because they're you know they that's how they really were and i don't know i don't know where i'm going with all this but basically um 
Kitty, uh, Kitty Pride, and Dazzler for now, at least for this moment, for the time being, are joining the X Men on the Blackbird as uh, Kitty Pride kind of recaps everything that happened from her end and her attempts to uh, save the X Men after they were kidnapped by Emma Frost. Uh, so Phoenix then um, uses her powers uh, to she basically like reads the mind of one of those henchmen, one of the ones that she didn't violently murder, uh, one of the ones they captured to basically learn the whole thing, you know, in Professor X style, she just touches his mind and she knows everything that happened. So she, now she knows uh, about Emma Frost. They know she knows they have, they have another telepath. She knows about the Hellfire Club. Uh, she knows everything. And she also makes the Jason Wingard connection because she sees him uh, through this henchman guy and, and she realizes, okay, this, this weird guy she's been seeing in these weird flashbacks where she goes into the past to be a debutante is connected to this thing. So things are starting to uh, come together uh, here for for Jean figuring everything out very quickly. It, it saves the reader a lot of time, I guess, this telepath stuff, huh? not having to actually have some other character explain this all to them. They can or them to have to find it out and learn it. They can just have Jean touch some creepy dude and learn it all. And that I guess it saves time. Works, works, it works, works. Uh, back to uh, Emma, who is now got uh, she's got Storm all bound up here. And uh, she's just, you know, she's she's torturing these 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 poor mutants here. Things are not good. Um, but now Kitty Pride is back, and now she's got a brand new X Men uniform. Apparently, it did not take long to get this thirteen year old fitted with a new outfit. She sneaks through, and uh, she goes to she wants to save Aurora first. That was what what the the plan was. But Aurora's not in that cage. She's over in the other room being tortured by Emma. Uh, so then she was told the next one she should she should rescue is Wolverine. So she goes and. Somehow, she doesn't even know how she does it. She, like, touches the lock of the cage that Wolverine is in, and it just, like, pops open. So I I wasn't sure what happened there. Was that, like, her power that was also unlocking it, or what? That wasn't, it wasn't really explained. It kind of confused me. I don't know. It just popped open. She's like, oh, I guess it popped open. And it felt like it was implied that it was somehow her powers, but as, as far as I know, her powers are just, you know, going through things. So I have no idea what happened there. But anyway. It's like a Michael Bay film. Just let it happen. Just live in the moment and go with us here. All right. Um, but yeah, she frees Wolverine and, uh, right after she does, she does. So she gets zapped by one of these, uh, you know, one of these uh, creepy henchmen guys. And then Wolverine says, sucker, you just made the biggest mistake of your life, bub. I added the bub. There should have been a bub there. And the last, and you know, we're, it's implied that Wolverine is about to, uh, do some, some nasty stuff to these henchmen here. Um, meanwhile, let's see. Dazzler is showing off her useless light powers as the other X-Men uh, show up at this, uh, this building, uh, where, where they're all being captured. Of course, they know where that is because of Jean's telepathic powers. Thank you very much, telepathy, for saving us writers some work. Um, uh, and Dad, meanwhile, there's another reference here. Scott is still kind of getting frightened by, by Jean Grey, but it's just like the way she's been acting, uh, the fact that she's like much more forceful in how she's using her powers. And, you know, she's saying, she's saying some creepy stuff. She's actually like, I feel like he's less concerned. It's more of a turn on. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah, because now now you see like kind of a different word balloon when when they show uh, Jean Grey talking to Emma. She's saying, oh, you're the one and only Emma Frost, the Hellfire Club's white queen. I can understand you call yourself something of a telepath. Well, your majesty, let's just see how good, really good, really you are, how good you really are. And that is not, you know, that is not the way Jean Grey normally talks. She's more, much more, you know, humble teenager more than uh, braggadocious, uh, what have you. So she's Clearly, there are some personality changes uh, creeping in for Gene. And uh, yeah, you're right. I don't know if Scott is as concerned as much as getting excited about the fact that he might be abused by this person (laughs) down the road. Um, I do like Nightcrawler's move here. He does something I call the telepunch, where he teleports. So he punches each each one of these guys as he teleports right behind their heads, and he's knocked all three of them out within like one second. Pretty good move, Nightcrawler. 
And uh, oh yeah, and I wrote and I wrote oh, and I guess Wolverine killed those guards because <laughs> because they're gone. Last time we saw them, Wolverine was you know brandishing his man. You really see how how short Wolverine is is here when they they show up with uh, Colossus is carrying Kitty Pryde because of course he is, and Wolverine is like he's up to like Colossus's waist. <laughs> he's so he's so short, and I guess Colossus is probably never tall. never forget in the 1993 Catherine Bigelow script for um, the first attempt at X Men movie, Joe Pesci was in the front was the front runner to play Wolverine. I knew yeah. nothing of this. Oh man. This is why you're here, Remso. A this whole is why you're new world. My God, do I want to see that badly. There's still time. <laughs> Multiverse could happen. Maybe in the Multiverse of Madness. That would be something to pluck her in there for us. Just give us a glimpse. Ah, oh, these two youths. Anyway. Um uh, yeah, and basically, let's see. Colossus. Colossus also says, "Why is why is he says to himself, why is Kitty staring at me?" <laughs> you know why, Colossus? Come on, don't play coy here. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Phoenix Jean Grey she fucks up the White Queen bad. She just goes all into her. She turns full Phoenix on her and just goes nuts. And she shows no remorse doing it. She has apparently, seemingly, of course, this is comics, so probably not, has seemingly killed the White Queen Emma Frost uh, with her Phoenix powers. Uh, um, meanwhile, uh, yeah, so that, that's basically ends this issue here. And, uh, you know, they're kind of, uh, just having their little post fight talk here. And they do, of course, offer Dazzler to join the X-Men. And she has no interest because as you know, she's a famous pop star who just shoots lights. Why would she want to get involved in all these battles? Like I, I do not blame her at all. I uh, mean, while Kitty Pr- Pride's parents are pretty rightfully pretty upset because the earlier like yesterday they just had a regular 13 year old daughter and now they got this like the whole thing wrapped up with the x-men here uh but gene then manipulates papa pride's mind uh to just suddenly become agreeable and agree that kitty pride should go join the x-men uh so scott is like kind of pissed by this he's like did you just like manipulate them to with your mind to, to like do something they weren't going to do and she's like yeah yeah it's fine whatever scott shut up and uh, so yeah he and scott and aurora are both kind of talking afterwards they're kind of both concerned about uh about jean gray about the phoenix and the way she's been using her powers and uh I, they actually do suspect that there might be some manipulation going on as we get a glimpse uh, in the background of Jason Wingard giving us a nice maniacal laugh. So uh, we are led to believe that the recent attitude changes we've seen in Gene are directly a result of this psychic manipulation from this Jason Wingard character. Man, this Hellfire Club looks both terrifying and awesome, but we still don't really know yet. Why are they so obsessed with Jean Grey? We do not. Maybe know. it has to do with her evilness coming out, the ability to beat up the White Queen. Only time will tell. Well, let's find out by heading over to issue 132. 132 picks up a couple of days later where we see the X-Men are in New Mexico hanging out at this place owned by a good friend of theirs that all X-Men fans should know. Warren Worthington III. Angel. And they're hanging out with him and everything else. And he's just so happy he gets to meet all the new X-Men and see Gene and Professor X and Cyclops, but mainly Gene. He goes over and uh, because Scott is a cuck, um, he allows Warren to just go over and him and Gene, they don't have like a friend peck or like, you know, a brief like platonic kiss on the mouth. They, they go and I'm, I'm pretty sure like I can sense the John Bernard here. Some tongue is being exchanged because Gene Grey is like, you're not, you're looking good, Blondie. And Warren is like, you're not so bad yourself red mm. we keep us up the, the cockening continues here. and we're liable to make scott jealous but nothing can make scott jealous he's never phased he has never phased at all so i mean i don't know if it's impressive or 
or not. I don't know what it is, but uh, and apparently like Warren's uh, wife or girlfriend here is cool with it too. Cause she comes in and says, keep it up wings. And Scott is the least, <laughs> Scott is the least of your worries. <laughs> because uh, this is uh, Warren's girlfriend, Miss Candy Southern. Uh, I don't know anything about her, but she's looking good. So I don't think, you know, I think Warren's doing all right here between, <laughs> between his, his flirtation with Jean and his, his current lady here. It's good to be a rich, good-looking mutant. It's not too bad. Yeah, with wings. But anyway, there's a reason why they're here in New Mexico, and Scott is just not phased by anything at all, because why would he? So he comes over, and he's like, uh, I don't mean to be rude. Scott, please, he's making out with your girlfriend. Be rude a bit. <laughs> yeah. um, by all means, like, be rude. Yeah, but he's like, uh, could we talk somewhere private? So what does he do? He has to go ahead and... Uh, dominate scott again in the masculinity ring because what he does is he lifts him up with his wings and he's like what you want privacy privacy you got and they they go and fly to this uh little little cliff uh a few miles away and uh basically scott is explaining another summary of the last couple of issues they've been doing this a lot they've been giving like half a page to giving a summary of everything since this whole there's been a lot of recap yeah yeah, so he gives a recap of a recap of a recap. And long story short, the only reason why they need Angel is because Angel happens to be a member of this Hellfire Club. And uh, Cyclops doesn't know it until he's like, hey, you know, these guys are attacking us. They're part of this Hellfire Club. So maybe he knew, maybe he didn't. But he's like, wait, I'm a member of the Hellfire Club. What's up with that? They're, they're, no, they just do. They just have like fun parties and stuff. I think we've been to like one. Yeah, you know, like drugs, orgies, the, the basics yeah. of the rich and the 1%. Better stuff. Yeah, so basically they, you know, Cyclops, I guess, because it never made sense why they were explicitly at Warren's. Well, they they said Cyclops just wanted to to bring them there to get them off the scent of their enemies. Like they just, he just, it was just a, a last minute move that Cyclops decided to make. Yeah, they don't really go too deep on it, but they, they say that Cyclops made the decision to, because they were, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's pretty vague. <laughs> Hey, I mean, you know, Jean Grey might not be so faithful, but luck, Lady Luck, is on Scott's side. Uh, so basically, you know, they, they're going to go ahead and make a plan using Warren's access to learn more about the Hellfire Club. Meanwhile, uh, Jean Grey finally shows up uh, because she's able to teleport, fly, float. She's able to fly now. She can fly now. And uh, she just wants to go ahead and have some alone time with Scott because, you know, you got to take care of your cuck. So they're she has they're kissed just, two other guys in the last 24 hours, by the way. Like, yeah, well, I mean, and, and all in front of him, too, like no, no discretion. So she basically is like, hey, Warren, I want to hang out with Scott. And Warren's like, all right, bye. And can I get a kiss first before I go? <laughs> I guess not. But anyway, she basically uses her powers once again to basically like take off her clothes. So she's now in like, you know, a, a bikini. And they're just like, you know, Scott, you're brooding. And Scott is like, it's the, it's, you know, it's what I do best. It's literally what you do best, Scott. And uh, they're talking and Jean wants to get a little frisky. So what she does is the last thing you want to do with a dude named Cyclops. She takes off his, she takes off his visor and he's like, Jean, no, what are you doing? Put my visor down. If I open my eyes, even fractionally without the visor's ruby court shield to contain my optic blast. And she cuts him off and. I love this comic book science logic. Open your eyes, Scott. Nothing will happen. I'm telekinetically keeping your optic blast in check. I wanted to see your face. That That's is some because all. comic shit right there. Yeah, and then they have sex on the mountain. Yeah. But uh, apparently a week passes because they're back in Manhattan. 
And what you see is, uh, near, and ironically, the Hellfire Club is uh, on the same block as like Avengers Mansion. You see that instead of calling their Avengers friends to help them, uh, instead what Wolverine and Nightcrawler do is they go into the sewers and they're going to go ahead and break in. So what their plan is, is that they're going to go in covertly by sneaking in and Jean Grey and the other X-Men through invitations of Angel are going to go ahead and party with the Hellfire Club. It's the, the classic, uh, it's the classic heist movie, uh, you know, multiple teams plan. One team's... But, but it's not like these people were just held captive like a week ago. <laughs> like they're not going to be recognized? Yeah, which immediately happens. I think there might be a little like Jean Grey making them look different to people thing going on, but it's still absurd either way. I mean, they make Storm's hair black and so white like if you see a giant russian guy and then the redhead that you're stalking they don't even see they just put like she just put like a thing over it because you can still see a little white piece of her hair sticking out she's just wearing something something over it like a little you know headband or something anyway they're immediately basically spotted because the head of security for the hellfire club a guy named Shaw, is like look who's here and then you see some of the other uh um, no that's pierce that's pierce I gotta correct you. Not shot. Pierce yeah, so is the, Pierce, the weird like cyborg. He's a cyborg. Yeah. yeah. So you're you're basically he's basically joined by Le- by uh, Shaw, Leland, and Wingard, who are basically trying to figure out what's going. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. Going on. Shaw is like, ah, what a present surprise. Jean Grey and Scott Summers, Phoenix and Cyclops of the X Men. Here, search the club. If they're how do you how do you recognize them in her red red dress and his 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 suit? Yeah, and immediately Shaw goes in there while Gene and Cyclops are dancing, and he just immediately swoops in. And all uh, this is that uh, I know it's, it's it's always you with getting getting these white guys mixed up. I know how it is. Who's this up. white this guy? Wingard. This is, Wingard this is Wingard. Wingard's the one okay. that's always wooing Gene. Yeah, this, this this schmuck. So he comes over and and jumps in the middle of their dance, and all Scott can do is just sit there, and he's just like Wingard. Uh, I don't like this wind guard. And there's more than like, how is he not just walking right up and immediately intervening? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, they're undercover. I mean, so anyway, um, you know, Wingard is basically like kidnapping Gene and all of a sudden a Cyclops is following him 
you basically learn what has happened. Uh, his his whole outfit and appearance changes, and what we learn is that this Jason Wingard is somebody who's actually very very familiar with the X Men. It's the original founding member of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Mastermind, who's like in his 60s and a slimy, like illusionist mutant. He's the guy who's been getting his hands and his tongue all over Jean Grey this entire time. Sending in her on, on weird uh, 18th century time slips. Yeah, the, the, the roofie of mutant kind. So anyway, as, as Cyclops is like, oh, I have, to, I have to save her from Mastermind. Cyclops basically gets like, you know, shot with a giant laser beam. And we see that, who was it? It was the Black Queen, Jean Grey, who's in another one of these time slip, you know, illusion situations. And another, like uh, crazy another BDSM out. outfit. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, while that's happening, Ororo... And yeah, I guess she was wearing like a scarf type thing and Colossus. Uh, they're basically, okay, time to, you know, rip apart our civilian clothes into our superhero clothes and we got to go find them. Meanwhile, Shaw comes out shirtless and, uh, you know, nips fully erect, obviously. And so he's what, like, come what, out. Was Jean Grey su- keeping their, keeping their outfit? Cause like, they're not just changing clothes. Like they're suddenly in X-Men gear. People, people jump into like the strangest of of like costume changes, and I don't get why Shaw is shirtless. Like, maybe <laughs> like this whole thing, this whole this whole episode has been very titillating with the Hellfire. Ha! 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 You did it! You did it! You caught uh, an issue. An episode <laughs> only took fifty five episodes to get there. Not issues. Episodes. Nice. Anyway, Mark, can you explain Shaw's powers? Um, Shaw basically absorbs the power of anything that hits him. So when Colossus punches him in the face, it doesn't hurt him at all. He actually just absorbs that power and then kicks it back at Colossus, knocking him across the room. So that is, uh, I feel like, like there's like a hundred p- villains that have this power, this absorbing power. Doesn't Bishop have something similar where he absorbs whatever energy comes to him and then blasts it back out? Yeah, but he could shoot like big blasts. He can't. He hasn't become like. Yeah, Shaw doesn't shoot blasts. He just he just hits people back basically. Shaw's the guy at the Hellfire Club who's like, yeah, yeah, hit me harder, do it. <laughs> he is, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sebastian Shaw is is Bishop without lasers and t- without time travel. So meanwhile, they're all uh, Storm and Colossus are getting their asses kicked by Shaw. Meanwhile, Nightcrawler and Wolverine run into Pierce and Pierce is not just another goon. He's not just some lackey. Not just a Pierce butler. He's a cyborg. He's a cyborg butler. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I like this joke that Wolverine has where he's like, yeah, I know all about cyborgs. I almost became one myself. You may be a $6 million man, bub. When I'm done with you, six billion bucks won't be enough to put you back together. Um, love the six billion dollar man. I always like that show. I collected the Bionic Man comic, Lee Majors. We we need to see him join the Marvel Universe. Oh, somehow. I'm all in, care. man. I'm with you. I don't care how they do it. I just want to see it. But uh, but anyway, you know, as if the cyborg isn't enough, you've got the giant fat Irish guy, and he just comes down all polite and stuff because, you know, Europeans. And he's like, my name is Leland, Harry Leland, and your challenge is accepted, dear boy. Stop you, I shall, because he, he has to be all polite and stuff. It's like a Hamilton Burr shoot-off. <laughs> so, you know, he, he basically has that other thing where it's like, he can control gravity, I guess, because they're getting all the like remaining powers. So Wolverine just basically can't can't get up at all. 
And meanwhile, we're back upstairs and Shaw has not learned about the Me Too movement because he's straight up <laughs> smacking Storm in ways that you just can't hit a woman. And he's just punching her. He's like he, he's like Rihanna's ex-boyfriend, Chris <laughs> Brown. It's just like, bam, bam, bam. It's it, it's rough. And like that, again, the X-Men have basically been defeated. And the way they were able to do it was by, um, you know, controlling Jean Grey. But wait, one X-Men is, miss is missing. Remember, Leland was controlling gravity earlier. What he did was he basically shot um, Wolverine, what he thought was miles underground, but he actually just threw him back in the sewers. So we see Wolverine, he's able to get back up, and he's like, okay, suckers, you've taken your best shot. Now here's my turn. So we know that basically Wolverine is pissed and people are going to die. And that's the end of this issue. I really love this last panel, this last uh, shot by this last panel by John Byrne of Wolverine here. It's just badass with him looking all ragged in the sewers with the the, the lighting, the shadow of the grate over him. And he's just you, you just tell he's got that look like he's ready to go fucking kick some ass. I love it. Yeah, I liked this issue. I feel like it was a bit redundant, especially knowing that all these guys are already familiar with each other. But I did appreciate them. Uh, bringing back a mastermind. This has actually been the first appearance of mastermind in over a hundred issues, if you can believe it. Wow. So it was just that one appearance or that one initial storyline with the, the, you know, the brotherhood of evil, evil uh, brotherhood. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah. And I, I do like that. It, it you know, the Hellfire Club could seem pretty lame just by their appearance. They just look like these hoity-toity white guys. So I think it was good to hear established that these are badasses. Uh, they are powerful. They can kick all of the X-Men's ass, and they're going to have to figure something out to try to get out of this. This is not just, you know, some guy manipulating Jean Grey. Like, they are actually themselves formidable opponents, unlike all these lame henchmen that we've seen in the last two issues you know, leading up to this. So I'd like that they did establish them as more than just, like, as more than sort of, not to, uh, you know, know coin and take steal the name but more than just masterminds they are actually formidable foes that the x-men are gonna have to figure out how to defeat as well and, and besides i mean they're so rich and elite i mean look at that lineup shaw pierce uh Wingard, bill clinton i mean it's just <laughs> it's just all of them right there they're so powerful warren worthington george bush george jw bush <laughs> what are you doing here john Kerry? <laughs> hellfire club all-stars you remember too all right, moving along to Uncanny X-Men number 133, and we dive right... I love the, the first page. Uh, Is where, Bill Clinton's power getting away of sexual assault? I'm sorry, I had to say it. I'm not going to comment. I'm just going to move right <laughs> on. This is not a political program. Anyway, uh, yeah, Wolverine, I love this shot here, though, in that this first page uh, that he is just... He's kind of like holding himself on the ceiling while these henchmen are just looking around for him. And of course this just leads to Wolverine diving on and just going to freaking town on these henchmen. Uh, he gets shot with a laser. Doesn't matter. He's Wolverine. He can take it. He can still come back and kill these guys. He basically kills all these freaking guys here. It's at least it, it seems uh, death is tenuous in Marvel comics. But uh, then there's just one guy remaining. He's like, don't move, don't move fella. And Wolverine's like, yeah, whatever, dude, this guy's scared shitless. And he decides he's not going to kill this guy. He's just, gonna really really scare the shit out of him so he tells the um, so this guy will tell him where the hellfire club uh where where those guys he says provided you tell me all there is to know about the hellfire hot fell hellfire club hot shot to clobber the x-men he's got to use the word clobber in there so i don't know if he need i mean he's in he, he they're in that mansion just go look around dude whatever um but yeah they are being held here and i i thought this is kind of funny the way they're being held here scott has this like i guess it's the ruby quartz the one thing that keeps his laser eyes in uh he's got this helmet on and and I, I noted he looks like Deathstroke here. 
with that helmet and that and that looks like red hood looks like red hood too yeah it looks like several dc characters here um but yeah they're being held in chains as the hellfire club uh stands there and kind of just looks evil and uh let's see yeah they're basically they've also teased some tension here uh throughout these issues uh through um through like wingard's internal monologue and uh so he is kind of been plotting to uh, sort of overthrow Shaw potentially because he, he thinks to himself, despite his pleasant words, Shaw suspects me, but I will deal with him and far sooner than he expects. For the moment, however, I intend to fully enjoy the fruits of my victory. So Wingard, he's got a lot of motiv- motivations here. He's in on this plan to, uh, you know, to capture Gene, to to bring him in as his Black Queen, uh, but he's also got some ambitions of his own within the Hellfire Club. Now, it's not clear to me if this guy was always Wingard or if Wingard was once a real person that was replaced by mastermind or he what? was a total fabrication but these hellfire club guys know that because they call him wingard they don't act like he's mastermind. It, it, it was it was intentional because well they, they explain it like in a few other stories why he chose to be wingard but there's a reason behind it and they're totally in on it they know okay. he's mastermind all right i'll take that explanation for now that'll work uh, yeah. Comics, Mark. So uh, Wingard uses his powers and he's kind of he's kind of got these X-Men all in there and he's kind of doing one of these time slip things, too. So they're they're back in the past now. And now Aurora is now a slave and her slave master is freaking Jean Grey Black Queen, who is abusing her in this in this weird you know time flashback thing. Um, so uh, we also have a flashback here to uh, where Scott and Jean. Uh, well, yeah, basically when they're back on the mountain on. Uh, in uh, Warren Worthington's little estate, uh, Jean basically did this thing where they have a psychic. She has a psychic rapport with Scott. She basically said, "I want to establish a psychic, a uh, permanent rapport, a psychic bond between us. Part of me in your head, part of you in mine." I know I'm asking a lot. Yeah, no kidding. A total sharing, a total intimacy, total trust. Uh, I'll understand if you say no. It's like she, while she's doing the thing to him, like she's like, she's like, yeah, you can, you can't. It's like one of those things. Like, oh, you can say no, but you, you can't say no, Scott. This, this is happening. Uh, he's, and Scott, of course, just says. I say yes. Of course you do, Scott, because you're never going to stand up for yourself in this one. That's, has he that gotten laid crazy. yet? Uh, you know what? I, that that has not been made clear, to be honest. Uh, as far as I know, that has not been made clear. But they are. Not I think clear. all they did was cuddle on that canyon. <laughs> Yeah, we we don't know for sure, um, but yeah, ba- basically that that's been been established there through this this flashback. Uh, we also get a little interlude where we see uh, Banshee and uh, Moira McTaggart on Moor Island, and uh, this doesn't really matter, so I'm not going to talk too much more about it. Um, but basically, Moira knows that Phoenix has more power than now being unleashed because, of course, she's just now getting some test results back that she did on Jean when she was there, and getting them back at this very convenient time for the listeners to learn that yes, there is. In fact, some shit going on with Gene and the Phoenix Force. Uh, we also have another interlude, back-to-back interludes, with uh, Angel and Professor X, who are still hanging out at the uh, the Worthington Estate. And, uh, yeah, basically the same thing. You know, well, Professor X just kind of um, worried that he's, he's responsible for all this stuff, which he is because he formed the X-Men. So, yeah, you kind of are responsible for anything bad that happens, but he feels he should be there, but, you know, he's not, and he's, he's worried that things are going to happen, all because of him. And, again, I can't really argue with him here. Uh, we also see that Senator Robert Kelly is a special guest at the Hellfire Club. Ramzo, what can you tell me about Senator Robert Kelly? Robert Kelly's a racist. <laughs> Robert Kelly led for the Mutant Registration Acts. He He's basically like, you know, walking mutant Jim Crow. All right, fair enough. And uh, Senator Kelly will be a crucial part in a story that comes 
I think it comes immediately after this one, actually. And that is, of course, Days of Future Past. So this is actually, in some ways, planting some seeds. Uh, a couple seeds throughout the story are, are planting some seeds for what's going to immediately happen uh, preceding this one in Days of Future Past. Of course, we'll look at that. Inside. I wouldn't be surprised if Eric sent us to do that one next, to be honest, because he already kind of teased that last time we talked to him. Are you telling me that our politicians are in league with one percenters and secret societies? <laughs> we have senators, meaning with elite societies, and um, yes, we should take all the wealth. That's what I want to do. <laughs> we need sentinels. Uh, someone, uh, yeah, so basically Wolverine is still sneaking about, and uh, he gets a gun held to his head uh, by some kind of thug creature. Of course, that doesn't go very well, because, uh, you know, Wolverine's not about to be taken out by some thug. Uh, meanwhile, Cyclops is uh, is is just continuing to watch the Black Queen just slut it up. She's she's even getting sweet with Harry Leland now, like, and he's just watching along. Uh, but yeah, but actually, he uses this psychic bond, so because they have this psychic rapport, he's able to sort of tap into Jean Grey's power and remove the face mask so now he's he's like psychically removed this face mask and he is now wearing his visor again so he can see and he he can basically sense like the Jean gray kind of like guiding him along here so like there's a part of the real gene gray that i guess he is connected with through this psychic rapport and then he gets zapped back into uh, a little jason wingard mastermind time warp and he comes upon uh lady gene gray here and then he has a multi-page sword fight with jason wingard before we get to the end of the episode uh, uh, damn it now i'm doing it too you brought it back before we get to the end of this issue what'd you think of the sword fight <laughs> Uh, and did you laugh as much as I did? Yeah, it's uh, it's there. It's, it's there. weird. It's kind of stupid. Yeah, that's accurate. That's accurate. Uh, yeah, so we got. I kind of Blitz, have Blitzkrieg Bop in the background in my head during the next couple pages. Yeah, so uh, then Wolverine gets beaten down. Like he he takes care of these henchmen, but then he gets um, approached by this uh, that I don't think it's the same exact butler, but it's like a bunch of these. I call them butlers. I don't know. They're like a bunch of these like security guys with the uh, those old old school you know seventeen hundreds American they revolutionary. They prefer to be called wigs. the help, Mark. The help. Okay, yes. Uh, he's getting beaten down by these creepy, weird wigged butlers, as I call them in my notes. And uh, Scott loses the sword fight, and um, as ho- often um, happens in comics, uh, Nightcrawler declares scott preemptively dead uh, and it doesn't take us long well i guess it would take us long if if we were reading these month to month because then you'd have to wait a whole month to find out as you do basically on the very first page of issue 134 that scott is not dead at all <laughs> he was just kind of knocked out but but uh nightcrawler had to overreact so we could have a dramatic ending there of, of the issue so i'll toss it back to you for issue 134 mine guts cyclops is dead <laughs> not no we're now on to, yeah we're now on to issue 134 and, um, you know, everyone is just kind of like standing around and suddenly like Cyclops is alive. How do we know that? Not because he's like getting up off the ground, but because Nightcrawler has to scream, Storm Colossus, look, Cyclops is alive. I always thought of him as like the Siegfried of the X-Men. Uh, but anyway, uh, Cyclops is like the way I feel right now, Nightcrawler. I wish I wasn't. I tried to contact Gene through the, psy- through the psionic rapport because that's what they're calling it. But Mastermind's mental control is too strong. And, uh, you know, we, they, they fought on, like, it, it's a bunch of bullshit. The astral, the plane. astral plane. And it's like that, that that's not really how it works. But I'm, I'm going to let it slide. But 
But anyway, uh, apparently the whole thing was intentional. So when Wingard like stabbed him in their little astral sword fight, um, it wasn't like he was really killing him because now he's just kind of laughing um, because, you know, Scott is a cuck. So he has to just humiliate him more. I guess that's how it works. He's like, I trust you learned your lesson, Cyclops. Jean Grey belongs to the Hellfire Club, body and soul, now and forever. And, and now the others are just freaking out. And um, at this point, you know, everyone is just kind of like staring around. The Hellfire Club is just completely celebrating. And all of a sudden, uh, Wolverine, who's been fighting the help all day, he bursts through the doors with the help grabbed onto him. And he's like, evening, folks, the name's Wolverine. You and me got business and all those flunkies and uh, Cretans ain't going to keep me away. And Shaw is like, Leland, you unmitigated fool. Um, you swore to me that Wolverine drowned. And obviously, you're, you're going to depend on the guy who looks like Irish Harvey Weinstein to get the job done. Of course not. So now you've got all of them fighting once again. And um, Cyclops is able to get out of his uh, helmet thing. And he, you know, he, he shoots Pierce and he's shooting the the locks off the handcuffs for everyone else and they shoots Leland and obviously I mean you're you're hitting the fat guy while he's down. That's not very cool, Scott. But at this point, you know, Shaw has to go ahead and show people that he's shirtless again. So he disarms his uh Hugh Hefner robe and he goes down and Scott's just not having it. He's just he's just fucking attacking everything. And at one point he shoots the floor under Shaw and Shaw's like, what the floor? And uh Scott why what weakness yeah, he actually says something funny for once. He says "Happy Landings," and basically, it's actually a he, pretty smart move from Scott because he because you know Shaw will absorb anything shot at him, but you know if you shoot underneath him, hey, that works out. Yeah, so he basically shot a giant hole in the ground and got rid of uh, him that way. But this gives everyone enough time to leave, so Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Cyclops are able to run away while um, Leland and uh, Wolverine are still fighting. Quickly, they go after Shaw, and Nightcrawler goes ahead and grabs him, and uh, that's that's basically th this page. We go into the next page, and what we see is that something's happening in Avengers Mansion, and who do we see once again? Beast. I always liked Beast as an Avenger, but it's funny how they're basically showing that, yeah, Beast was out doing stuff other than X-Men stuff at this point. What do you think of this quick interlude where basically Be uh, Beast is informed that something kind of weird is going on at the wild, eyes wide shut Hellfire Club up the block? I like that That just like with um, Warren Worthington, with Angel and the other issues, um, like these these characters have gone to do different things in the Marvel Universe, but they remain part of the X-Men family. And this is the ever expanding X-Men family that has never stopped expanding to the point that Jonathan Hickman today has like hundreds of characters to work with. But it's kind of what adds to the X-Men's charm is that, you know, they, they, they are kind of like a big family. And, you know, sometimes your family members move away. Sometimes they go to a different city, different town, get a different job. Uh, but they're always your family. I feel like I'm, I'm freaking Vin Diesel here in Fast Furious. Family. It's, it's family, damn it. And uh, so Beast is part of that family. So when he hears some shit's going down and with his X-Men, you know, he's going to help him out. And uh, I like the little the little thing here, like his, the Avengers system. He's kind of like monitoring the Avengers system that's, uh, you know, it's saying, oh, the X-Men are causing trouble at the at the Hellfire Club. And before he heads out to help them, uh, it's, it's kind of subtle, but they show they show one screen uh, that he, he turned it to the screen and it says, erase tape, erase tape. So he's erasing the evidence uh, that would have led the Avengers to come intervene against the 
the X-Men. So I think Beast knew how bad an Avengers X-Men crossover would eventually be and was doing everything he could do to prevent that. God bless you, Beast. It's like Days of Future Past again, but um, Days of Future Future, I don't know. So, so basically, Avengers vs. X Men sucks, kids. We might get to it, it someday. Terrible. That would be painful, Mark. Well, we've we've done more painful things. I can I can tell you that right now. We have. And dare we dare I mention the name continue. J.J. Abrams again? Speaking of pain, the X Men continue to fight the Hellfire Club for the next couple pages. We see everyone is. I mean, this is just an all-out brawl at this point. Cyborgs versus you know giant steel Russians and everything else. It's it's a hard fight. And what we basically see is that the psionic uh, bond between Jean and Cyclops is actually working out because the only way that she's going to be able to get out of Wingard's control is to finally, you know, manifest herself. So basically, Jean, while she's still in her little, you know, like psychic mastermind trip as the Black Queen, she's becoming just, uh, she's becoming more self-aware, and that's when her dark, evil Phoenix voice comes out. And basically, uh, she realizes, oh, my God, like this dude has been manipulating me and driving me crazy and all this stuff. So she basically like beats the shit out of him using her psychic powers and sends him off into like this psychic astral plane, essentially lobotomizing Wingard, turning him back into his mastermind uh, version. And we see him just on the floor looking all dopey, drooling. And she's like, enjoy your trip, Jason. You won't be coming back. In a way, I envy you. You're at peace. Phoenix doesn't know the meaning of the word. And that's basically the, the end of that. She walks out and she gets reunited with Scott and the other X-Men and uh, they, they escape. Now, what ends up happening is they, they, they have to get on this other jet. They're still trying to escape um, you know, the Hellfire Club. And just before they get in, we see that she has another like crazy episode where she's like, hear me, X-Men. No longer am I the woman you knew. I am fire, life incarnate now and forever. I am Phoenix. And if you remember, that's what she said when she first became the manifestation of the Phoenix Force way on her back when we did the original Phoenix saga. So now it's almost like a complete circle at this point. And then the last panel, Jet blows up. Phoenix is unleashed indeed. And uh, yeah, man, it seemed like everything was going good. She broke herself out. She stopped being the Black Queen, but that did not last for long. We got the full dark Phoenix uh, force unleashed. So here we go. So uh, now we're going to get into the meat, the real meat of this thing. When we have the dark Phoenix completely unleashed in her full evil, scary ass form, we start with a big splash page dark phoenix as we see the uh, the blackbird sort of falling apart above new york city above central park witness with the caption witness the birth of a god her name is jean gray a young woman of extraordinary beauty strength courage passion a superpower mutant telepath telekinetic a charter member of the uncanny x-men none of that has changed and yet everything has changed thank you narrator for guiding us along there uh, her first act a thousand feet above manhattan central park it's the seeming destruction of those she loves best in the world, the X-Men. And we just see Dark Phoenix going to town on the X-Men. They are all falling, of course, um, from that from the destruction of the Blackbird. Uh, that's basically uh, like, like Aurora is able to catch Wolverine. Colossus, he's fine because he's, you know, he's Colossus. He can handle it. Um, and, te- and Nightcrawler has to teleport himself away. Uh, just basically teleports himself right to the ground. Um, 
Oh, yeah, and then, yeah, Aurora catches Wolverine, and then Wolverine catches Scott on the way down, which is pretty absurd, but that that's the explanation for how they all land without uh, dying here. And we just basically just get, like, a big battle here with the Phoenix just going going full hog on, is that even a phrase? Full hog? Whole hog? It's going hog here on the X-Men. In and this episode, full hog is very appropriate. <laughs> it really is. And, uh, yeah, so um, they're, they're, they're using their powers, you know, you know, even Aurora's trying to use her weather lightning and basically nothing is working on. I mean, the, the Phoenix is essentially a god here, so everything they do, uh, it's completely ineffective, and she just kicks X- X-Men ass uh, this whole time. Um, Cy- Cyclops is also seeing, like, darkness, you know, he because he, they still have this psychic rapport that was established, so he's seeing, like, all this, all this image, imagery as he's describing of, like, darkness and evil and all sorts of bad things that are going on inside her. Uh, we then see Senator Robert Kelly, who was at the health hellfire club last night or that, that same night, actually, this is just, this picks up right where it left off. Uh, Harry Leland is being taken out in an ambulance and Senator Kelly. I'm sorry, Mark. Yeah. The burka has to come off. Uh, do it. Do it. I think you've earned it. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, Senator Robert Kelly is talking to, um, talking to Sam Bat- Sebastian Shaw about this stuff and what they can do about the X-Men, you know, causing all this trouble, attacking elites, attacking the 1%. And uh, Sebastian Shaw has one suggestion suggestion he suggests the sentinels so again this is another one of the hints of what is leading us directly into days of future past um moving along we have uh, so now we have like the phoenix force has just become the full phoenix she turns into the phoenix and just flies off into freaking space so everyone is alerted to this that you would think would be uh, reed richards the fantastic four to text this on you know his uh you know energy detecting device or whatever spidey spider sense goes off uh dr strange detects that stuff because he's dr strange silver surfer's out in space and, and realizes some shit's going on so people are becoming aware and uh by the way for more of what happens to silver surfer here you can uh go Go to Epic Illustrated number one. <laughs> Maybe someday, if you join the Second Print Patreon, that might be a comic that I read and uh, review for the Random Marvel Comics podcast, if fate should so decide. Uh, but moving along, Phoenix is flying into space, and uh, also another, another uh, you know another one that detects her is Beast. So she kind of just passes by the Beast, uh, who is in uh, an Avengers Quinjet, and then he comes down to Central Park and uh, begins to help and aid his old friends, the X Men. Uh, let's see. We we get a couple more interludes here. We get an interlude where uh, we see Angel and Professor X are talking on their fancy computer screen that you know we, we're doing here without thinking twice about this. Uh, but back in the '80s, here this is a big deal talking to people on computer screens. It's not what you I mean. They do. had phone cars at least. Yeah, they, had, they had lots of fancy stuff here. The X Men and uh, yeah, they're talking to Moria Taggart and, and Banshee and just you know talking about the Phoenix Force basically and uh, the fact that they're somewhat concerned about the situation, understandably. Meanwhile, Phoenix is just flying out into space. She creates a freaking Stargate and bounces over to another galaxy where she then proceeds to consume a star, which causes that star to, I guess, while she's consuming the, the stars, it, it explodes and destroys an entire planet. Now, this atta- this attracts the attention of a Shi'ar spaceship. Uh, the Spear- Shi'ar spaceship goes to see what just destroyed this planet, and they are confronted by the Phoenix Force. Um, they are not, then that is not a good thing. The Phoenix Force is, uh, you know, obviously a very, very powerful, and so they're freaking out, and this commander of the ship goes and calls, who who is the head of the Shi'ar Empire? It is Professor X's 
honey, Lalandra. So she gets the call, um, and uh, basically she basically sees live on TV, live through this video call, the Phoenix Force destroy this other ship, and she basically says, you know, summon my ministers, Chamberlain. The threat must be dealt with once and for all, no matter what the cost. So she is ready to deal with the Phoenix Force in her own way, whatever that may be. Meanwhile, back at the X Mansion, they are hanging out at the kitchen. Scott is Scott is bumming, um, and it's I love like. <laughs> Here, Colossus is talking to Aurora while Scott's just like depressed on the kitchen table. And he says, he's taking this very hard, Aurora. If there was only some way to help. Like, gee, I wonder why he's taking it hard. Not only has he seen like multiple men make out with his woman in the last 24 hours, uh, but she then turned into a cosmic entity and tried to kill him and then took off into space. I can't really blame Scott for taking it a little hard, to be honest. But, of course, he is still a bitch. And uh, Scott... Of course, life is a hard life, yo. Cook's life, baby. And uh, he still has the psychic rapport, uh, so he still can detect her. So he says, uh, you know, he through the psionic rapport we share, she's returning to Earth, and she's hungry. Hungry. Phoenix hungry. So that ends issue 135. Uh, yeah, finally. It took us forever to finally get to this point, where the Dark Phoenix is really here. Um, I feel like, and this is more of a critique of original of the original Phoenix Saga, which folks can go back and listen to from their last Kirby Club special, but I, even though it took us a while to really get to the meat of this, the buildup is worth it, and it all makes more sense, and I appreciate this story more because it wasn't so all over the place. For the most part, it was a couple of linear stories that were kind of leading us here, so I, I dig it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we could have probably gotten to the Here's Phoenix Unleashed stuff faster, but uh, at least there was a coherent story to it. And, you know, they they yeah, they did good t- stories telling stuff. They planted seeds along the way. Uh, they planted doubts in Scott's mind about what was going on with Gene. They showed Gene getting a little bit darker. And they give the, the sort of the reason for why this Dark Phoenix suddenly became unleashed. And it was due to the manipulation of Mastermind slash Jason Wingard um, seemingly bringing out this, this Dark Phoenix that was really living inside her at all times in some way, shape, or form. Of course, after the Dark Phoenix saga, we'll learn more about what really went on and if this is really Gene Gray or any of that stuff, but we don't need to get into that right now. Speaking of which, we go on to the next issue and we see that Gene Gray is still going around destroying freaking planets because Dark Phoenix can do what Dark Phoenix want. And Lalandra is freaking out and she's like, oh my gosh, this, this even makes Galactus uh, look like nothing compared to her. So she goes ahead and draws upon intergalactic council of other interplanetary leaders. And what they all basically uh, get to the point of doing is agreeing that the Dark Phoenix must be destroyed. Meanwhile, at the Avengers Mansion, we see their butler Jarvis run into the command room where only a panel that the president has access to is activated, is activating. And he's like, well, no one's here, so I have to answer it. And who pops up? Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter's <laughs> like, now, Mr. Jarvis, I think that there's this giant energy. No, thing no, no, not out. Mr. Jarvis. Mr. Jarvis. Mr. Jarvis. I love how they give Jimmy uh, his un- accent. I understood that an Avenger was always supposed to be in a minute on duty i've been calling for some time without response and long story short you know there's an oil crisis and the iranian hostage crisis but there's also this giant uh energy force destroying planets and freaking people out 
Uh, meanwhile, what we see is that the Avenger who was supposed to be on duty is Beast, and Beast is at the X Mansion trying to help him out in the meantime. Yeah, he was basically, so, yeah, he was supposed to be on watch, and instead of that, he deleted the tape, you know, that would send the Avengers towards the X Men and took off to help them. And I, I do like here, you know, at least in the most recent couple of decades of Marvel Comics, they will often show the president, usually in like a silhouette form, or, the, or they'll show him, but they won't. It won't be totally you know, blunt about the fact that this is the actual president. I think they stopped doing that entirely with with Trump, basically, because uh, they they never showed him a reference that someone that might be him. But uh, here with Carter, like this is not even like a va- this is Jimmy Carter. Like <laughs> they're pretty. So I guess this is a, yeah, man, this is the late seventies, huh? Damn. By the power of peanuts. <laughs> So we're back at the expansion, and basically as they're in their danger room fighting, lifting shit, getting swole, you know, as, as mutants do, they're basically having this discussion over what, what's really going on with Jean, and they're coming to the realization that they might actually have to kill her if she's as dangerous as she is. Meanwhile, we see that Jean has come back, and like all super omnipotent mutant intergalactic energy beings, uh, she has to go ahead and resolve some past trauma, and like with all women, it leads to one thing daddy issues so she goes back to her family's house and what she finds is that she's freaked out her parents and you know they're they're kind of happy to see her but they're kind of nervous because they've been hearing things and she's with those x-men people got this new and, you know yeah like it's kind of it's kind of crazy and basically what it what it comes down to is she's mad that you know her parents basically were kind of ticked off with the facts that she was a mutant and everything else and she's got dad issues meanwhile the x-men are able to detect where she is and they they go and and find her but at this point she's pissed and she, you know she has to take it out on her dad so she starts just beating the shit out of everyone beast colossus um nightcrawler it's not a good day and then finally i mean she even manages to just completely smack aurora and i feel bad for aurora she's taking some of the hardest punches this oh yeah she's getting killed in the series yeah so eventually uh wolverine you know uh he's able to tackle her down and he's actually gonna kill her he's like i got no choice i gotta end this now permanently and as he's about to stab her, he's like, forgive me, darling. She's like, do it, Wolverine. Strike me while the human part of me is still in control. Finish me with your claws. I beg you. I don't want to hurt you. And then that's when the phoenix come back, comes back and she blasts him. And this is just not a good situation. So she's got all of them uh, basically controlled at this point because her telekinesis is at a crazy level at this point. And as she's about to just go ahead and just completely kill them, uh, Cyclops comes out. For the first time, the cuck is dominant, and he's like, stop it, Gene. Cyclops, I was wondering when you'd turn up. And, you know, she's just threatening to kill him now because, of course, she can kill her cuck. And he's like, then kill me because, of course, Scott, let's just go ahead and end it now. I can't stop you. I won't even try. Be true to your Maleficent destiny, Phoenix. Kill me if you can. But if you can't, then ask yourself why. Your dark Phoenix, power incarnate, no force in existence can can, uh, stand against you. The X-Men defied you. We fought you, yet we live. Why? And what he's basically trying to do is appeal to her humanity with enough time for Professor X to come in. Scott was basically a diversion so that uh, Professor X could go ahead and use his powers to try and separate Gene from the Phoenix. But that didn't work either. And what she ends up doing is, uh, you know, 
trying to split the phoenix from herself, if only temporarily a giant energy blast shoots out as it looks like she was about to kill Professor X for a minute, and quickly she reverts back to being Jean Grey. And the X-Men basically end up disappearing out of nowhere as soon as Jean Grey's family comes out because, you know, they have to be lecturing somebody. You can't gloss over the big moment. The big moment where they got engaged right here. Without oh yeah, there's that part. Is it really that big? Well, I'm I'm kind of being sarcastic here, but like, it, what's funny <laughs> is that he doesn't say it. He's just like sitting there thinking, "I'll love her just the same, um, for better, for worse, for rich, poor, sickness, and health, till death do us part." And she just says hi, and she's like, "Oh hi." He's like, "If I didn't know better, I'd say those thoughts I just picked up sounded like a proposal." And he says, "They did, didn't they?" What do you say, Red? I say yes. So there you go, Scott. I don't care how often you cheat on me and blow up planets. <laughs> yeah, she has and no, make she has out no with my questions friends. about this stuff before before doing this, but okay. Yeah. And that's that issue. That is that issue. So now we're going to go on to the big special double size issue. This is X Men number 137. 137? Yeah. 137. 137. And this is basically there's one there's another issue after this. But this is basically the culmination of the whole thing. And we start off with our good friend, it's the Watcher, and we get a whole Watcher esque speech uh, where he you know talks about how he's from time immemorial, and he's he's you know he has his memories about this girl Jean Grey. He watched her from the, the time she was a child, and I'm gonna have some questions about this later on, by the way. But um, basically, he just is recapping. He's just setting us up for what we're about to see here, and then suddenly. <clears throat> The X-Men are here. They are on, uh, I guess, the Shi'ar homeworld, and uh, they have been brought there because they want to destroy the Phoenix because of, well, they just destroyed, like, two major Shi'ar ships, so that's kind of a big deal, as well as a planet. So, understandably, they want some answers, and they want to bring this creature to to justice, essentially. And uh, at the end of the day here, uh, what happens is Charles defends defends uh, defends Jean by saying, uh, you know, no, uh, Jean Grey are in uh, Halar for Jean Grey's life. I challenge you to a duel of honor. And apparently the Arin Halar is a duel of honor in the Shi'ar tradition that cannot be denied. <laughs> so because he has issued this challenge, um, she can't refuse it. It's the challenge that can, it's the one challenge that cannot be refused. So it's kind of like a triple dog dare. You, you have to do it. You have to take it. So she's like, all right. Well, I got to talk to the council first, but yeah, I pretty much, I pretty much can't do anything about this. So she goes and talks to her allies. Um, those being the heads of the, the always feuding Kree and Skrull empires. So we see the Empress, uh, who is now, uh, her name is Rakul, the Empress of the Skrulls, as well as the, the Supreme Intelligence, always the, uh, the head of the, the Kree. And they basically both agree. Yeah, go ahead and do it because, you know, you guys aren't going to lose. So and we're going to make sure you don't lose because uh, they kind of imply that they're going to cheat, including the scrolls. They're like, hey, we're scrolls. We can we can shapeshift. So maybe we'll be there as quote unquote observers. Um, so they're pretty confident that the Shi'ar and the, they basically they, it's basically going to come down to uh, the X-Men versus the Imperial Guard. And we get like a number of pages here, like like each each character basically gets their own page where they're kind of, kind of thinking over what to do. Um, they're also, by the way, they're getting pretty nice quarters for people that are like essentially prisoners here. I mean, like Jean Grey is like an amazing bedroom. Um, they're getting Grail has little butlers to come in and, and offer them things like uh, Beast is going to get some massage from some some creepy alien lady. Space um, Gitmo is lit. Yeah, Space Gitmo is lit as shit. And yeah, they're basically just being pampered, which I imagine is probably part of the strategy. I mean, you know, you got these guys that are about to go into a big battle. Yeah. 
get them get them relaxed make them soft uh, but they're basically all making their decisions and they're all deciding on their own that they're not going to let Jean fight for herself they're all going to uh, stand by Jean of course Scott Scott does the same thing he says Jean I'm not going to stand I'm not going to let you do this by yourself um, you are you are you and Jean shows up dressed as Marvel Girl so she's she's going back to her roots this is Jean Grey herself this is no longer any kind of Phoenix Force at least so we are are sent to believe so we're made to believe at this point in time um, but yeah basically they all they all say yeah we're, we're standing by your side Jean so they then they get teleported off to the blue area of the moon who lives in the blue area of the moon Remzo who else lives there the Inhumans the Inhumans as well as our boy the Watcher uh, so M2. yeah, it's a pretty, it's actually a pretty, pretty busy neighborhood actually. Um, but yeah, there, th- this whole battle is going to take place, uh, in the blue area of the moon and things are, things are pretty weird there. Like the, they're trying to kind of get the, their feel for, for things. Cause they're, first of all, they're, they're, um, they're kind of in this like bubble here. And like, so like Warren's trying to fly around, but his, he can't really fly cause he's on the freaking moon. So he's, he's kind of getting messed up and they're, they're just trying to like, no one's really there right now. So they're just trying to like go around and, and see, you know, who their opponent are here because they've heard there's some new members of the Imperial Guard, but then they do start to get attacked by a whole bunch of different strange characters and creatures who some of them might have names, but I can tell you right now, those names do not matter. These are just random sort of, uh, you know, Imperial alien type robot slash weird creatures that, that they come upon. I think the one that they named was Earthquake um, and he has the powers to, you guessed it, create earthquakes and cause the ground to shift and rumble. He is battling a Wolverine and Aurora. Uh, they're not doing too hot for the most part. The X-Men are kind of kind of getting their asses kicked here, so I can't really blame uh, blame the Korean the Scrolls for you know being pretty feeling pretty confident about the whole thing um and uh but they are you know they're, they're holding their own in some respects like uh nightcrawler kind of you know helps save uh warren worthington who's getting thrown around here uh but at, at most they're surviving they're not really doing doing too well uh meanwhile wolverine ends up um falling into this little place and he comes upon this giant screen with the watcher he sees the watcher's giant head here and he, i guess they've never met before so wolverine is like hey who the what the hell are you and he's like i am the watcher this is my domicile you are not welcome I'm here wolverine he's like i'm tired of getting bounced around like this bub you want to make something of it he's like very well if words will not persuade you let actions take their place and he just like sends wolverine through time he's like if you're not careful you could end up here in the with the dinosaurs you could end up here in this this weird future this kind of looks like the planet that uh, was being destroyed in that one episode of loki uh, i don't know if it is but i'm just going to pretend it is for my own my own internal continuity purposes and he just basically ejects him out of here so just a nice little appearance by the watcher uh so wolverine now knows the watcher exists and uh you know and gets booted out of there uh but then wolverine gets approached by aurora who's trying to comfort him and he he senses something is off though so he 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 trusts his instinct and his scent reaches back grabs her by the head throws him over her and of course she changes shape and this was not aurora he was correct this is uh this is a scroll warrior named raxor um but before he can attack wolverine uh he he, he gets shot down by a kree why because the kree and scroll hate each other and this kree guy uh I, I forget his name but he's a he's a kree we've seen many times over but he says uh just because my scroll ally is too terrified to defend himself x-man does not mean that he's completely helpless at least not so long as he has a kree warrior to protect him be thankful i did not leave you to your fate scroll we were meant to be observers here not combatants so this kree guy has, has some honor he's like hey you don't get involved in this thing and the scroll turns into this monster and eh, we get some some 
Kree and Skrull battling as we often do. Um, and I love the bloods and crypts of the galaxy. They really are. Um, and uh, yeah, then uh, let's see. Nightcrawler kind of gets taken out. Um, for the most part, the X-Men are just, are just really, again, not, not faring too well here. Um, because Colossus gets into a big battle with I don't know who this Kree guy is, but he's another Kree that we've we've seen quite a bit. He's like the head of the Imperial Guard. He has a name. I don't know what it is off offhand, but but uh, Colossus gets his ass handed to him here too. So at the end of the day, the Kree is mostly uh, left standing here. Professor Professor X is really distraught again. He's blaming himself again, understandably so, because he put the he put them all in these predicaments in the first place. Lalandra sees you know sees what's going on, but you know she's kind of like you know I warned you, Charles. Like I I want to comfort you, but you know I'm busy having my people kill your people so i I don't really have time for that right now uh it kind of comes down to scott and gene who are fending off uh fending off more kree warriors and uh again things are not looking good until we see a blast as this this ship gets totally blasted out of the sky and guess what the phoenix once again has been freaking reborn so the phoenix was not gone the phoenix was alive uh i guess still kind of reside it's not clear to me if the phoenix was still residing within gene gray or if the phoenix got shot out to space and came back i'm not exactly sure uh that's not really clear but either way women and their multiple personalities right either way phoenix is back and uh phoenix is uh you know using her phoenix powers to do phoenix shit and uh but um yeah basically phoenix takes everybody out but then phoenix who is still gene gray uh by the way there is one little moment here that i really liked we got a reverse fastball special because of the moon's uh, gravity so instead of colossus throwing wolverine we got wolverine throwing colossus so wolverine throws colossus to take out the phoenix uh but but colossus pulls his punch at the last minute he's like i can't do it and gene's like oh my god you pulled your punch you weren't gonna kill me you were he's like i can't kill you gene whatever you know like come on i'm 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 i already killed proteus once i already got that on my hands i don't feel like doing this again which is actually a nice tie-in to the fact that you know we've seen colossus be introspective about his use of force uh, you know earlier in this in the story so uh, but yeah, basically at the end here, Jean realizes like she cannot live like this. Like like this Phoenix Force is never going to be separated separated away from her. And uh, at the end, it's not really clear how it happens, but she I, I think she. I can't tell if she just zaps herself away and kills herself and disappears or if she she uses this machine that may be close by that ends up zapping her. Um, but anyway, essentially, Jean Grey commits suicide here. And, um, and meanwhile, the Watcher does what the Watcher does. He watches along and gives a whole big speech uh, about Jean Grey and her sacrifice and all this and that. But it, And she basically says Jean Grey could have lived to become a, a god, but it was more important to her that she die a human. Now... Spoiler alert for future things you learn in the X-Men. Shouldn't he know that's not really Jean Grey, Remzo? You would think Uatu would be paying better attention. Yep, but that pretty much that doesn't technically do it for the for the uh, for the Dark Phoenix saga. There is an epilogue issue, issue 138. There's really not much here though, Remzo. I guess we, we can touch on it if you want, but yeah, I mean, to explain it in 60 seconds, they're at the funeral of Jean Grey, and this entire issue is essentially Scott going through the entire history of the X-Men uh, from X-Men issue one to where they are now. And what we really see is that, you know, for Scott, like, this isn't just a superhero team. They, this isn't just his friends. This has been his entire life since he was, like, 15 to now as an adult. And all he's ever wanted to do was make Charles Xavier proud and do well by mutants. And, you know, while he's definitely shown 
shown himself to be a true superhero and a leader, he, he doesn't feel like he has that in him anymore. And after everything that happened with Jean Grey, he's essentially a broken man. So he can't serve the world as a superhero. Nonetheless, the X-Men is their leader. So at the end of the issue, he basically parts ways with Professor X. He has to go on his own and do other Scott things. Um, and Professor X is basically like, hey, man, like you're, you're basically like my son, and I love you, dog, and you go, go do your thing, homie. So Scott goes off, and what, what this really does is this is really a passing of the guard because Scott now, you know, because Jean Grey is dead, Scott is the last original X-Men on the team. Oh, yeah. So with him leaving, this is a completely different era of the X-Men. And what's really important is that they show that character who's relatively new, but someone we did meet recently, comes in at the very end of the issue to basically take on the, the mantles, the next generation of the X-Men. We see Kitty Pryde show up to the Xavier's mansion and she's going to be a new student. So by Scott leaving and with the it, with the issue ending with Kitty Pride coming in, it's basically one chapter of the X-Men legacy ending and another one starting. Indeed, indeed. And yeah, that pretty much sums it up. So shall we? Shall we get into these scores, Remzo? Let's do it. All right. Well, I think we did pretty good. We're we're not going to come on under ninety minutes, but I think that's pretty darn good for nine issues. So I'm I'm still proud of our, our attempts here. I um, did that last one in sixty seconds. Yeah, that was pretty good. So let's see. This is definitely an improvement over the original Phoenix Saga, and I guess a lot of what we're calling the Phoenix Saga and the Dark Phoenix Saga is basically just based on how they package them in trade paperbacks. So you could argue, you know, maybe Chris Claremont didn't intend for all those issues you read in the Phoenix Saga to be a Phoenix Saga. Um, a lot of them were just a couple other stories they were bouncing around, and maybe that's part of why it felt like we were just kind of killing time until we got to the real stuff, because they just kind of plumped some of those issues in the beginning um, where it's not really a focused story. But here is definitely much different. Here we did get a focus story here we we kind of got two stories and we did get more space stuff but it's it's a it feels a lot more consistent a lot and a lot more of sort of a, a straight line than it did through the phoenix saga where we're just you know one minute we got leprechauns next minute we're fighting magneto next minute we're in space and it's just like a whole bunch of shit back to back to back that's hard to really cobble together into something that feels cohesive whereas this definitely feels cohesive i mean the entire arc is about gene gray's progression uh from being the powerful phoenix version of gene gray and uh, turning into her darker self due to the manipulations of mastermind jason wingard uh, eventually fully turning into the dark phoenix her sort of thinking she expelled it but then once she realizes it's really there within her and there's nothing she can do uh she you know makes the ultimate sacrifice and uh you know and that's it's really quite an arc and it's, it's much more of a, a better story arc than we saw in that first phoenix saga so and i did like i think chris claremont this is you know when he's really, really fully come into his own as as he is owning the X-Men. And he has really got these characters down. Uh, these do not feel like, you know, these copy and paste characters that you could interchange the dialogue with any of them. Like, the characters really have their own vibe, their own style, their own uh, their own way of speaking, their own their own different moralities. Um, you know, like how we do get Colossus. We constantly see Colossus having kind of his struggles with using his power, how he should be using it. And you know, these are real characters. These are real people that feel distinct. Uh, so I'm going to give the writing a four. I actually think it's, it's pretty darn good here. Um, you know, and this is not, you know, this is not, uh, it's not Shakespeare or anything, but it's pretty darn good comics, and uh, it had a really consistent storyline. I'm going to give the writing a four, and uh, I, I really, really enjoy John Byrne's work here, too, especially a lot of his depictions of Wolverine, uh, but unlike the, you know, the Dark Phoenix saga, I think we got a couple different artists, so it was nice to have the consistency of John Byrne here. Of course, he is also, uh, you know, he also works on the stories with Chris Claremont, so they really are a cohesive unit at this point, whereas they were just, they just sort of started working 
working together on the X-Men uh, back in the, the uh, Phoenix Saga issue. So they've really come together here. And I think that that really helps the art as well because they're kind of working together on the storyline. And uh, the art is just very, it's very good and very consistent. Again, not mind blowing, but very, very good. So I'm going to give the art a four as well. And that brings me to a much better score than I gave the original Phoenix Saga. I'm going to give this one an eight. And I'll just go ahead and jump on board for that. I came to my conclusion, uh, ironically, uh, the same way you did. Um, I mean, much more cohesive storyline going on. I really do like the Hellfire Club in terms of villains and stuff. They were definitely, you know, they're not your Legion of Doom. They're not your Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. They added a different layer of uh, intrigue to it. So I'm going to go ahead and give uh, the story overall a four. It was, I mean, even without the Leprechauns, it was way better than the original Phoenix Saga. And I'm going to go ahead and give the artwork a four. Even the original artist for the first couple issues wasn't all that bad. I, I did enjoy it. And the transition between him and Burns is uh, is, is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good. So I'm going to go ahead and give the art a four for a total score of eight out of ten. I think we gave it a 16 out of 20, which is definitely have this on your reading list. Indeed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, big improvement over the Phoenix saga. And I think that 16 out of 20 SPC score puts it right in the, this is pretty much in that must read, must read zone. I'd say with with a score and it is a classic story. And, uh, Unlike the Phoenix Saga, which is kind of a classic story, but not really a cohesive one, I, I would I would also recommend reading that just to kind of because it's kind of a classic story and it's good to read. And heck, it has leprechauns, but this is definitely more in that must read category. Uh, so I would highly highly recommend checking this one out. Uh, it does, did not disappoint. Uh, I would say it actually exceeded my expectations coming off the the Phoenix Saga. So uh, check it out, kids. Um, anything else, Rem? So of course I want to always encourage people to head over to the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/SecondPrintPod. If you just can't get enough of us uh there is so much coming at you like we mentioned earlier with remzo's what if recaps with caleb franz i'll be get getting back on some uh, random marvel comics and dicking back into the fuck it pile very soon and uh there's just a plethora of content so uh for as little as five bucks a month you get to partake in all of that content and uh the fun just gets higher from there like we mentioned earlier you can do stuff like get uh graphic novels hand selected and picked for you and sent to you by remzo and i you can even produce an episode like eric did today uh, so that is it. Check it out. Second patreon.com slash second print pod. Anything else, Remzo? That's all she wrote, folks. Remember, be good, be safe, and read comics and change, change the, world. the world. Good night, America. Adios. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 